0: Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. Today I'll be speaking with Andras Simoni. Mr. Simoni is a former ambassador of Hungary to the United States. He's also a project leader at George Washington University and a senior fellow at Atlantic Council of the United States. He lives and works in Washington, D.C. Our conversation focuses on energy independence, protecting the environment, and how to get people involved in making a more safe and healthy planet so i'm here with former ambassador andres Timoni. andres thank you so much for coming to the podcast well thank you for your interest well i'm looking forward to have this conversation with you because you've been doing this tremendous work regarding environment, energy diversification, the European Union. And we'll get there in a minute. But before that, I would like to challenge you for more of a granular view, more of of, uh, a view from the normal people that uh, are dealing with these matters. And they know how important it is to fight climate change. But on the other hand, this means going into solutions that people don't like. Like, for example, we've been seeing a lot of resistance to increasing prices of, um, of carbon-based fuels in Europe, for example, what happened in France. So how do we deal with this duality of having all these needs on one side and then all these sacrifices or at least changes in behavior that we need to do on the other? How do you see that dynamic?
1: Ricardo, I think you're touching upon the single most important aspect of what, we're, uh, what we are facing Namely that, of course, we all know we have to do something about the climate, we do have to curb emissions, we have to figure out a way uh, to make our planet livable and uh, and uh, our life and especially the way of life that we have more sustainable, uh, but at the same time, um the numbers show that there is a growing need for energy. And we have not been able to find the balance between uh, the, the climate aspect and the growing energy needs aspect. And it is, it is, it's great that there are people who are radically pressing for climate change, uh, but it is also important that they understand That uh, if we are to sustain our way of living, we will need more energy. And that is where the challenge is. And that is where uh, the two things have to go hand in hand. Energy is not the enemy. Energy is is the solution. How to do that? That is really the, the big question. I think we've made a lot of advances. I think we've also... Uh, made a lot of advances in terms of uh, understanding uh, the climate issue. I think uh, we're a little we're we're a little late uh, on that. but instead of desperation, we should go ahead and try to figure out how to find uh, this named balance.
0: From your position, have you seen some transfer between that uh, energy? to the political sphere. For example, we have now the European Green Deal that was proposed by European Commission. And again, we have the same dynamic and that is some UA member states will have to reduce carbon emission. And of course, normally, and as you mentioned, some of them, they do need energy for industry and for everyday living. So have you been seeing this kind of shift or are these different dynamics, the political action and the people on the streets and the squares?
1: I think, uh, I think the, the role of, of, of politicians is to understand uh, the worries of people and understand also the possibilities. Uh, politics and political declarations alone will not do the trick. Even great resolutions without uh, the part, full participation of all those concerned uh, will not mean a lot. Uh, in, in terms of politics, uh, the man on the street has to understand that, uh, yes, there are some crazy politicians. There are some crazy politicians on uh, both extremes. But all in all, I do not think that politicians uh, are 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 not trying to do anything. I think uh, I think um, beyond ideology, uh, politicians are trying to come together to find uh, find a uh, find a, a solution. Uh, But I'd like to warn that uh, political activism, while it is important to draw the attention to issues, will not be the solution. We need the full participation of of governments, the citizen and business. And this coalition can perhaps uh, pave the way to find the, the balanced solution between climate and energy.
0: That is a fantastic point, and let's hope that we continue going in a good direction with that full participation, having everyone on the table. Now, one of the solutions are often discussed, and you discussed it also in some uh, very important work that you do for the Atlantic Council on Global Energy Center, is uh, energy diversification. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about that. Can you first describe to our listeners what are uh, terms like technology neutral, source neutral, energy diversification?
1: Well, uh, source neutral means that uh, it's really not uh, about the sources. It's about, about what, uh, what kind of emissions uh, these sources uh, have. How much contribution they they make uh, make to uh, uh, to the uh, um, uh, to um, uh, to the climate problem? It, basically, we're talking about the fact that energy uh, in itself is not damaging. The technologies that are not able to uh, curb uh, the emissions from these energy sources is the issue. Uh, obviously, there are. Uh, there are um, um, sources which, uh, which, if you um, look at them um, at the level of, uh, of technological knowledge we have now, do uh, have higher emissions. And I, I do believe that in this respect, we will have to prioritize to try to push for energies that have uh, zero or close to zero or, or, or very... Uh, limited or decreasing um, uh, emissions. Uh, in this respect, uh, I'd, I'd say that uh, there is a huge difference between uh, the different hydrocarbons that we use. I personally have, for many years, been suggesting that gas is uh, is part of uh, part of the uh, energy mix long term. As a matter of fact the increasing use of uh, gas in the United States has contributed to an incredibly uh, aggressive uh, um, uh, decrease in carbon emissions but I don't think we have done enough I think we need to do more and also not just on not just on the source side but also the consuming uh, consu- uh, consumer side uh, I mean uh, this really means that it is important to make sure that uh, the exploitation uh, of, of, of these resources, uh, mining, uh, drilling, uh, comes to, comes with uh, zero or close to zero emissions. I think the gas sector in the United States has done a lot to curb these emissions in the last uh, two, three, four, four years. But at the same time, we need to do more to make sure that on the user side, uh, we try to uh, figure out uh, how to how to uh, limit emissions, which means uh, new technologies that will, in the end, uh, in the end, uh, make sure that uh, that, uh, for example, uh, the emission uh, by cars. Uh, electricity electricity production is is uh, is is is, is uh, uh, falling radically. I want to warn, by the way, and this is this has to be part of the the discussion, that the energy mix will remain very very diverse for a long time to come. If we are to if we are to meet. The, uh, the energy needs uh, of the world, and don't think only about the, the, the developed world, but the growing need by the developing uh, world, we will need uh, all of the above. So I don't think at this point we can easily get rid of uh, hydrocarbons, and especially we need to have another look at, at nuclear, uh, which scares, uh, <laughs> scares a lot of people, but uh, let's face it, at this moment, the cleanest, uh, cleanest energy source is actually uh, nuclear. So we need a much more grown up and, and, uh, and scientifically based uh, debate. We will always have risks, but I think risk mitigation uh, is possible. And uh, so this, this really is uh, at the heart, uh, heart of the debate. I, w- I just want to mention, you mentioned our work at the uh, Atlantic Council uh, here in the United States. We are now at the Global Energy Center together with my colleague, uh, uh, Ambassador Richard Morningstar, working on a report on EU-US energy cooperation. And the final findings of that report will be out very soon because we are uh, at the uh, we ha- in, in uh, our position is very clear, the United States and Europe need to work very closely together on these issues.
0: In fact, there's a paper and I'll put this on the description of the podcast on the links which you wrote exactly with Ambassador Morningstar and also with Olga Kakova, Irina Markina about European energy diversification and uh, sources routes clean technology this is very important a very important contribution already but getting getting back a little bit to and now let's talk about um, diversifying energy mixes and we'll talk about natural gas and liquefied natural gas there are some people that absolutely they understand that the emissions are lower but there are other uh, problems associated one of them is political and I'll be there in a minute but the other one is also about the fracking and the earthquakes that it can cause with uh, uh, horizontal fracking do you think that we can move on to a position where that ceases to be a problem or it's minimized like you mentioned the the word well first
1: of all i'm a great fan of lng and in particular u.s lng uh just imagine the security energy security situation of europe Without the possibility of importing uh, LNG from the United States and being totally dependent on sources that might have uh, might might have uh, some um, some mo- motives uh, uh, of uh, of geopolitical character, and I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. going to name the countries, but if you ask, I will. So, so <laughs> therefore, I think U.S. LNG in itself has increased energy security in Europe. This is one thing. The second thing is uh, look at the U.S. gas industry as, uh, as uh, part, of the, part of the solution and not just part of the problem. Business is part of the solution and not just part of the problem. And LNG exploitation, uh, in, in LNG and gas exploitation in the United States, has made the United States the single largest uh, exporter of uh, gas in the world in the last couple of years. Now, uh, uh, you're right, there are risks involved. But uh, uh, frankly, um, the early stages of uh, of fracking uh, are different from the the fracking technologies uh, today. For example, very little known fact is that some companies are already... Uh, recycling, uh, recycling uh, water uh, to the extent of 100 percent. And they're also recycling water for other utilities. Uh, the, the, they are very, very sensitive to the, uh, to the worries about uh, minor uh, or micro earthquakes, which is a fact, but they're trying to mitigate that through uh, more thorough research uh, more careful geological research and also it is very important to note that uh, one of the one of the the issues with uh, with fracking uh, was uh, methane emission and some companies uh, have now reached the level of zero or close to zero methane em- emission by through uh, capture technology so uh, i i will just say that uh, the, the, the fracking technology is not a perfect technology, it is sometimes not a beautiful technology. By the way, you should also know that the replenishing and forestation by companies is, is also something that is, uh, is, is now catching on in, in the United States. So all in all, a lot has been done to address the fears and the criticism. I repeat, it's not a perfect solution, but let's face it, let's face it, energy production in itself is not a perfect, uh, is, is not without risks. You take, uh, don't be fooled by the fact that uh, we're now increasingly banking on the electric vehicle. Well, the electric vehicle will help clean up uh, emissions in densely populated areas, but uh, if it is uh, run if, 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 if the electric car is run on electricity that is, uh, that is uh, uh, coming from the so-called dirty grid, which comes from countries where they have total disregard for, uh, for climate issues, uh, then we have not achieved much. Uh, consider, consider the benefits of the electric car – together with the emissions uh, produced by the electricity they are running on so therefore uh, i would i would argue that uh, uh, and here is uh, you know your your first question about uh, about uh, source neutrality uh, i i do believe that uh, that we need to narrow uh, the the sources of uh, uh, of, of, of of energy Um, uh, which are uh, helping us to curb uh, the climate issues and then only push out uh, or get rid of the the, the sources uh, that are uh, are, uh, impossible to change. Technology will do a lot, and I do believe that also in this respect, our report is going to point to the importance of uh, technology cooperation between the
0: U.S. and Europe. Those were very good points, and uh, you showed a little bit of reluctance, but I will go into it. And that is has to do, of course, with uh, geopolitics and the strategy of energy independence, because you mentioned and totally agree with that, the fact that liquefied natural gas coming from the United States could help Europe tremendously not being so dependent on Russia. And they can cut the uh, source, they can cut the, um, the the coming of gas like it happened with Ukraine, and we know about that. And also not to be too dependent of the gas lines that are coming from the Middle East and from Africa. Now, I do have a question for you, and that is, I'm Portuguese, and in Portugal we do have some entry points for liquefied natural gas that can come by sea. How do you think then that the European Union must prepare... To a level of competition that can involve other superpowers that exactly need to have that kind of competition going on at their favor. And I'm talking about, for example, if China comes and they say, well, we'll buy the ports in Portugal, we'll buy this one and that one. And then our friends from the United States, they can say to Portugal and to the European Union, hey, hey, those are our entry ports for liquefied natural gas. So how do you see that dynamic coming in, in the future?
1: Wow, all good questions. Well, first of all, let's take the Russia issue. Russia will be part of the Russian gas will be part of the energy mix. but no one has to no no one should have any illusions that for Russia, uh, gas uh, will always be uh, both an economic and business proposition and a geostrategic geopolitical uh, proposition, which means that, they will always use energy for geopolitical means. Uh, Europe uh, needs to be very alert to the possibility of Russia doing this, <clears throat> and uh, don't be naive about uh, the the uh, the, uh, the the Russian efforts to um, to dominate uh, the European uh, gas market. Uh, it's already too high, and if Nord Stream 2, the, the pipeline in the Baltic Sea from Russia to Germany, will even increase Europe's dependence on Russian gas. Here I want to open a bracket, which means that I'm really surprised why the Europeans are not paying attention to the incredibly dirty way the Russians are exploiting gas, the incredible the flaring uh, the, the methane emissions, the destruction of the environment, uh, and I could go on. So I, I would, I would be very cautious and I would like Europeans to be more alert to it. At the same time, I do believe Russian gas is an important part of the European energy mix. So this is, uh, my statement, uh, is, is my, my, um, our position is very clear. It's not to exclude Russia, but make sure that Russia abides by the rules and does not use gas for its own strategic purposes, like, for example, they, they did with, uh, uh, with, uh, with Ukraine, in the case of Ukraine, like they are doing it to a great extent with Central and Eastern Europe. You asked about Portugal. Portugal can be an incredibly important player. There, there are a couple of things. First of all, I do believe that the United States is uh, um, is 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 itself um, working hard to figure out how to improve the infrastructure, the LNG infrastructure, so that we will that the United States will be closer uh, to Europe, and that transportation will not add to the cost to the extent that it will that uh, LNG is. Uh, uh, is is not competitive this is the first thing the second thing is portugal is is a great entry po- uh, entry point portugal uh, can be an absolutely key player i would warn portugal not to sell its ports to to china it it would be it would be a big big mistake because uh, both economically and from a strategic uh, point of view don't forget that energy security should be part of our overall energy uh, or overall security thinking, and I I do believe that uh, I've been in I've visited Portugal many times in my capacity as ambassador to NATO. Uh, I have uh, Portugal is an important founding member of, of, of NATO, and this thinking uh, has to be has to be a part of of its. Uh, if it's transatlantic security thinking. And then last but not least, it will be important, and this is key, that the European, uh, European Union uh, builds the, the, um, uh, the interconnectors between Portugal, Spain, France, and the rest of Europe so that gas coming through Portugal can reach the consumer in the rest of Europe uh, as easy as possible. I think these, these things have to be considered and it is, a, I guess it is, uh, it is an, is, it's an incredible opportunity for Portugal, Portugal being one of the closest countries uh, you know, geographically to the
0: United States. There's some entry ports also in our neighbors here in Spain, but I couldn't agree more with you. And uh, it's something that we here in my home country, but also as European Union, uh, we should think about very seriously. Now, um, as we're getting close to the end of our time, I would like you to dive a little more into the nuclear thing. And we know the problems of it, and pop culture doesn't help with all the Chernobyl shows, which are fantastic, I must say. But also here in Spain, we had problem with a, a nuclear plant, and we know Germany doesn't allow a nuclear in their soil. But could you help then people again understand that the, when we make the risks and the benefits calculation that nuclear, it's a very good option.
1: There are a couple of things. In terms of Chernobyl, I have to tell you that one of the worst days in my life, uh, when <clears throat> I've already had two children and and the then communist government lied about the risks of uh, the Chernobyl a catastrophe and uh, did not warn people about uh, the, the looming danger and uh, my, my cousin was a truck driver, they made him drive through the area uh, a few days later and guess what, 20 years he died of le- 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 leukemia uh, and never ever has this occurred in uh, the family near and far. Which only shows that uh, it it can it it was a terrible thing. But at the same time, the Chernobyl catastrophe was a political uh, catastrophe at, uh, just as much as it was a fader of a a technology. So therefore, don't throw out the possibility. I'm, I have not become an enemy of nuclear power. I have been an enemy. I have become an enemy of systems that cannot uh, make the proper arrangements and and have proper laws uh and uh transparency and oversight of nuclear plants which will ensure their security Mm -hmm. these are two different things Mm -hmm. i do believe that uh, we need we will need uh, nuclear energy because electricity consumption is growing and as i said i would not feel good about europe cleaning up its 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 act and then buying electricity from uh, from dirty grids, I'd rather uh, suggest that I'd ra- we we support the idea that the nuclear uh, is is part of the energy mix. And a nuclear technology is, of course, also improving. The new the newest technologies, which uh, which is the uh, small modular uh, reactors, which are much smaller, probably. Also, much safer uh, um, nuclear plants, which can be uh, deployed cheaper and 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 more easily, uh, has to be part of the solution. Um, There are there are, and I want to warn our listeners that uh, I do not have any illusions that uh, all this comes with 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 risks. Uh, but I think uh, science, technology, and politics uh, can make sure that uh, we are uh, we minimize uh, uh, these risks. Uh, I also agree with you, since I am I myself I'm I'm very much involved in the musical world, and of course rock and roll. You mentioned rock culture, pop culture, rock and roll is part of it. Rock and roll, uh, uh, can also have the message that, you know, uh, we can do it. We can fix it all. We can do it all. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, do believe, I do believe that, uh, uh, just, um, uh, scaring, uh, scare, fear mongering and, and, and being scared of nuclear energy is not the response. Uh, but it is important that society and pop culture, uh, pushes, pushes governments and politics to make sure that, uh, that uh, nuclear energy is used in a safe way.
0: I couldn't find a better way to finish this conversation for now. And that is you went from science, politics and popular movements to music, to rock music. So I think this is a perfect ending. I'm going to thank you so much for coming to the podcast. And I'm going to ask you to come back again because we're just touching Uh, a little bit of this uh, topic, for example, the uh, European Union has a lot of guidelines regarding nuclear energy. And you just mentioned a couple like nuclear safety. They also talk about radioactive waste and radiation protection. So there's a lot, there's work done and that people should know better. But for now, um, I'm going to thank you so much for coming and please direct people to know more about the work you do and how to follow this uh, very important topic.
1: I'd like to, uh, first of all, thank you for, for your interest. Uh, uh, your listeners can log on to the Atlantic Council website, Atlantic Council of the United States, and uh, look for the Global Energy Center activities, and you can find all the things we're doing, and all the things we're doing especially uh, to push for a closer cooperation between the United States and Europe.
0: And again, all this will be on the description of the podcast. Mr. Ambassador, it was a great pleasure to have you on the podcast. I hope to have you back soon. Thank you. I'm back. Just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify and if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. We also have a new podcast, which is called Liberal Europe Podcast in Lockdown. We had our first episode, and you can find it on our website, which is liberalforum.eu forward slash blog. And talking about lockdowns, the European Liberal Forum is organizing a weekly event, which is called Liberties in Lockdown, Every Wednesdays, and this coming Wednesday, the twenty two of April, we're going to have one of those uh, web seminars on freedom of expression and the threat of disinformation in the time of the COVID nineteen. Again, to know more, visit our website, liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe Podcast It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.